Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Hunt Talk Radio. Um, we might go a little unfiltered today. We got some cool stuff to talk about. Uh, I got two really cool guests here. And it, I'm going to give you the background about how we ended up deciding on this topic. So many of you listen to our podcast or follow us on the Hunt Talk Forum or hear me speaking when I'm traveling across the country. And so often it, it's the question or email to me is, all right, Randy, you got me all fired up. You've shown me what these politicians are trying to do, da-da-da. What can I do about it? And many of you, when I give you the answers, you kind of look at me like, oh, that's that's eighth grade civics. What? Come on, Randy, give me, give me something <laughs> to sink my teeth into here. And uh, so I have two guests with me today who have been in those same shoes uh, and they've done something about it. They've, they've been very effective in what they do. And so we're going to have a discussion about what all of you as listeners can do, whatever it is, the topic that, that gets your passion going. Uh, and through these examples, I think you're going to understand that you don't need a TV show. You don't need a podcast. You don't need a big hunt talk forum like I have to make a difference. And these guys have known me for, oh man, I think Moby Dick was a minnow back when we first started hanging out together. Uh, but they, they know that the having these platforms I do are, were not the genesis of my activism. My activism went way, way before then. And these platforms just helped me crank up the volume. So Anyhow, that's what this podcast is going to be about. And before we get into it, uh, I'm going to definitely want to talk about the great uh, sponsors we have that allow us to bring this podcast to you. And I hope that you'll go there and you'll uh, you'll support these sponsors. Uh, the first one is Orion Coolers. You guys have heard me talk about them. Uh, I don't talk about things unless I'm impressed and I'm very impressed with Orion coolers, uh, not just the product, but the company and the people running it. We had Damon on the, on the podcast here about, I don't know, a month or two ago. And if you get a chance, go back and listen to the podcast with Damon Bungard, his, uh, entire do it yourself caribou hunt in Alaska. That's about ready to get posted up on our hunt talk forum here pretty soon where he's going to do a step-by-step. -step. Here's everything you need to do it. And when you read that, you'll understand why a person with his mind who lives our lifestyle can produce a cooler that is so adapted and, and well-suited for our lifestyle. So OrionCoolers.com, go out there. They're not only the coolest looking coolers that you can find, but they're probably the highest performance cooler you're going to find. Um, our other partner is onxmaps.com. Um, uh, they used to go by huntinggpsmaps.com, but you guys see me hunting these public private areas, walking around with my GPS all loaded up with all this surface ownership stuff. And, uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly where those spots are that I'm hunting, but I will tell you that thanks to the folks at Onyx Maps, I'm able to, uh, to hunt places I otherwise would not hunt. And right now they have a big promo going for their new hunt app, which is a cloud-based app that you can use mostly on your cell phone or your computer, uh, other digital platforms. And if you use the promo code Randy 16, R-A-N-D-Y 1-6, that promo code is going to give you 20% off anything you get with this new app that they, they have out there. So 
onxmaps.com. Go out there, and uh, if you don't shoot more critters as a result of that, well, then I, I don't know how to help you. It's uh, it's one of those don't leave home without it sort of services. Um, and lastly is there's the group called GoHunt.com. You guys have heard me talking about that now for a long time, and they have a service called the Insider. And that insider is more research, more information. Uh, I'm sure my wife wonders, how can you spend so much time on a website? But I do. Because it's all of the Western states have these complicated schemes. You don't just go down to the hardware store and buy your, your tag in the West. And the insider has more information about more states than any place out there. And uh, if you go there and click on the insider... They have a promo code for our listeners also. It's called Hunt Talk, H-U-N-T-T-A-L-K. If you use that promo code, you're going to get a knife from Gerber for signing up. And that knife is the vital uh, vital knife. It's the replaceable scalpel blade knife that Gerber makes that you see us using out in the field. So, um, And I, <laughs> you guys heard us on the last podcast talking about me and uh, two of the Sitka guys were talking about that Nevada was going to issue their draw results that afternoon after we got done with the podcast. And I used this insider service to research a ton of places. And this is a personal testimonial that after that podcast, Nevada did post their draw results. And I drew a tag that I probably didn't deserve. But uh, that's all right. I'm, I'm happy with that. But anyhow, gohunt.com, click on the insider and use the promo code HUNTTALK and get yourself one of those great Gerber Vital Knives. And uh, now with that, I'm going to uh, get into this discussion with two people who have a lot to add to this. And I know some of you are going to say, well, Randy, they're in Montana. I live in Pennsylvania or I live in Texas or I live in Washington or whatever. And the whole point of this is to show how you can become an advocate in policy and politics. You can be an advocate for whatever your interest is. And I, I handpicked the two best examples I can think of because they are just very, very effective advocates who've been down this path. They've, I guess if you say been there, done that, um, Shannon and Vito would be two guys who have been there and done that. So who I have with me? is uh shannon taylor uh shannon is a retired economics professor am i saying that right yeah, i was in the college of business but uh yeah, yeah I was montana, in the montana 35 State. years yeah and uh shannon currently is the president of a local rod and gun club here in montana and then vito quattrero uh is a longtime hunting buddy of mine who it's a good thing that i'm trying to think do, do you have a job, Vito? I mean, you, <laughs> you you spend so much time in advocacy that I would not expect any of our listeners to spend as much time as an advocate as you do. Uh, for the good or bad of it, I'm a realtor and have been for 46 <laughs> years, and uh, that allows you free time. And since I'm my own boss, uh, I, I can do anything I want to do. I don't pay myself oh, hold, hold, well hold on. <laughs> hold on, Vito. You are married. You are not your own boss. Right? Correction Cor- noted. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> just, just trying to clarify that because this podcast is known for marital advice. So. Uh, yeah. Luckily, I've got a spouse that... Uh, 
after the 46 years of marriage, she's kind of she's given up used on to you. Be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in fact, if you're I'm home, uncoachable. Yeah, she, <laughs> if you're home too much, she says, "Don't you have something to do?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, folks, if I sound a little funny right now, I went to the coffee shop this morning and bought a scone, and I have a walnut allergy, and I left the coffee shop, and I plowed into that scone about the third bite. All of a sudden, I'm like, something is not good here. Uh, the, the Their coffee shop had the labels mixed up on the tray, and the gal gave me what she thought was the one without walnuts, and it ended up being the one with walnuts. So I'm on, like, Benadryl number three here. So if you hear my microphone hit the floor, that's because I'm in anaphylactic shock here, and these guys are... I don't know if they'd call 911 to help me out or if they'd just carry on the conversation. So, but uh, anyhow, that's a, that's a little background to, to having Vito and Shannon here. Um, yeah, we all live in Bozeman, Montana. And you guys, and, and they're very modest guys, so I'm probably going to have to pry a lot of this out of them. Uh, but I, I just want... Each of you, I'll start with you, Shannon, to tell the audience just when when you decided and how you decided, you know what, I'm going to be an advocate and maybe activist is the right word, about wildlife and wild places. Um, it, it started... Uh, it, it, I started as a hunter early on, uh, you know, in childhood uh, when my father took... Uh, uh, my, primarily my, uh, uh, three, uh, brothers and me, uh, but two sisters too. So we had a large family and instilled in me a desire to hunt and fish. And so that's always been kind of just an automatic part of my life. Um, then I went to school. I was really good at going to school. And, uh, <laughs> so I ended up with a PhD and uh, uh, started working at Montana State University, and for a few years, I did not hunt and fish. I was too busy. I was I had a career and tenure to think about, and right. so on. But once I got tenured, and, and about midway through my career, um, I switched my research over to the economic value of wildlife, and it was almost a purely academic approach. So I started reading the the papers and the work and primarily econ professors, but also some business professors also. And fish and game uh, uh, departments had economists, and as did the federal agencies. And I learned a program that did the ripple effect. So if you spend money in a county, how does it uh, ripple through and, and the multiplier? And I became an expert at a software package called Implan. And I showed through that kind of research based on data collected by the federal government every um, six years uh, uh, that they do on the economic value of hunting, fishing, and wildlife washing. I used their numbers and showed that in Montana, uh, hunting, fishing, and wildlife uh, watching was about a $2 billion a year industry. And that was right up there with mining, about half the size of agriculture. It's a big deal in Montana. So I've created my professional expertise uh, with the economic value of wildlife. Well, that got me connected with a lot of individuals who were in policy uh, uh, positions and eventually into the sportsman's groups. 
And uh, I'm not sure how much of the history we'll go into, but uh, I'm now representing the the Headwater Sportsman Association. And that was started back in the mid-90s. You were part of that. Vito was part of that. I was kind of a peripheral player. I wanted to, to make certain that my children and my grandchildren now can have that same opportunity that I had in Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana to go out on, at the time, I, I didn't even know how to frame the my joy, my passion, <laughs> but now I know how to frame it. Right. It's being able to have access to quality hunting and fishing. Yeah. And I have learned over the years, uh, now I'm a, a major player in the arenas, of being able to balance who gets access to the animals, to the to the wildlife and the fish in Montana. The good news is we have lots of wildlife to fight over. That's good. And so <laughs> that's, that's another part of what I right. do is how do you keep the habitat? How do you keep the populations healthy? And uh, for people that are listening to this, uh, you know, you want to learn if you want to if you want to come out and kind of be able to learn the language so that you can have an impact on decision makers. You need to learn a little bit about the, uh, uh, in my opinion, a very proud heritage. Uh, the book that I would recommend is is from the brink, which is my, primarily Montana, but how hunters and anglers went to bat for the the wildlife at the turn of the century it's a it's a story that turn of the not this century (laughs) right exactly right i'm showing my age here yeah we're all none of us here are going to be an advertisement for uh what would i say uh dark wave uh waves of hair <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, speak so, for yourself really <laughs> but and i'll, I'll get that so, real short is, is that once you, you need to learn that and, and i did and now we have this wildlife so we want to protect it and then we want to figure out we want to balance if you will uh who has access to hunt it and and uh and and enjoy it in other ways too to watch it and to fish yeah, and so with with that history, then I'm going to ask Vito how he got into this. And, and the whole reason I'm starting with the history is I think a lot of our listeners are interested. They're they're passionate, and it might be about archery hunting. It might be about duck hunting. It might be about bone fishing, whatever it might be. But they're at some of these people are at that point where we all were at one time of where do I start? How do how do I no one jumps into this with 30 years of advocacy experience like we do. So that's, that's the idea. So Vito, let's, let's hear the Vito story about how, how you got talked into never saying no when asked to go do something. I, I will start with something I've told a lot of people. No is a complete sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us who've gotten involved have never learned that. We My don't know uh, the meaning of the word, and Randy's correct. a prime example of that. Uh, like Shannon, my uh, father took us hunting and fishing every weekend. We did it as a family. That's where my passion started. I've been a passionate hunter since I was 11 years old, which was three or four centuries ago. Uh, so uh, it's, it's always been my, my passion. 
when I, shortly after getting married, probably I was maybe 25 or so, I, I was really avid bird hunter. We did a lot of bird hunting. I was from, unfortunately, I, we, I don't mention it very often in Montana, <laughs> but I'm, I'm from the sea state, California. And as one resident advised me when I first moved here, just tell people you're from west of Butte. And, and, and don't mention yeah, don't use Ca- California. <laughs> yeah, don't, you don't, you don't use sentence. California. But I, I was, I was a, a big-time bird hunter. Did a lot of bird hunting growing up. And so I got invited to a Ducks Unlimited dinner and ended up uh, volunteering for the committee for the next year. And the year after that, I was... I did not know how to say no, so now I was the dinner chairman the next year and did that for a couple of years. And, and that just kind of started the process. But being from California, uh, such a large state and with some interesting po- political dynamics that were going on, I was still able to get involved with the politics of it. Uh, I I was appointed onto a a county fish and game commission. I I was went to many uh, fish and game commission committee meetings dealing with hunting season structures, et cetera. And so I got involved in the political arena there where in California, it's really tough. You don't know your, your federal senators and, and representatives, but you still can get involved. Um, then luckily, uh, we decided to make a move to Montana and, uh, uh, my wife and I, we, we bought a business for my wife to operate takes and a good, I was, takes a good man to find his wife a job. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you, you got that right. Well, you know, I didn't know anybody and I didn't know anything about where to start hunting and fishing. So I talked to the owner of the business we were buying from and she said, well, cause I needed a place to go duck hunting. And she said, you need to talk to this guy here. I'll give you his name. His kid goes to uh, uh, the preschool. Uh, His name is Randy Newberg. Randy is the source of all my problems in Montana. That was, what, 23 years ago? Uh, We moved here 20 in 94, so 22 years ago. I call Randy up on the phone. And he graciously t- gives me some insight as to where to go, some of the places I can go duck hunting and, and whatnot. And thought this was great. So that was really super. And we had a couple conversations. Then I get a phone call from Randy. Vito, you need to come to a meeting that's being held here in the next week or so. And the meeting is being set up by a, a mutual friend of all of ours named Tom Sather. Optometrist, Doc. Doc Sather. And he was, he was really concerned about mule deer dynamics in the state of Montana. You have to come to this meeting. First mistake I agreed to. <laughs> I came to that meeting. There was a, uh, several very passionate individuals there about what was going on. And the decision was made to form an organization. This was in 1997 now. 1997. It was 96 or 97. I think it was that hard winter we had, 96, yeah. 97. Someplace, someplace right in there. Um, and that is how Headwaters was formed out of that initial meeting to talk about uh, mule deer yeah, in Montana. Yeah. And so we... we we have this meeting. We decided to form it. 
again, a group of people who do not know the meaning of the word no. Uh, that that same passionate group, I think, were the original board members of the group, yep, which included correct. Randy, and et cetera. And I think Shannon may have been uh, on the initial board as I well. I was. Uh, I think I may have been on the board, or I, I came on very shortly thereafter. Yeah. So uh, you know, and through Headwaters, uh, that led us into a whole new arena that we had no idea we were going into. We had the right people on the board they were very intelligent they even let one italian on the board me uh which wasn't real intelligent but we had really sharp people really passionate people who wanted to have get something done and we didn't know how to do it but we were not ego driven and so when someone in the group would come up with an idea people could clomp onto it headwaters in its early days created a statewide regulation that allowed for uh, youth 12 to 15 years old in most of the elk units in the state were allowed to shoot a cow elk without a special permit. We took that idea. One of our members came up with it. One of his his son, actually, who was also sitting at the meeting, said, why don't we do this for our kids so they can shoot a cow? Everybody thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And so we, we said, okay. And I remember because I carried it to the commission meeting and made the proposal to allow it. That regulation exists today yeah. in, on a pretty much a statewide basis. Yeah. That came out of headwaters. Yeah. And, and the point of, of that, that, that history right there, Vito, is, is really – I want to I stop just for a second because that's part of the goal of this podcast is – about three or four guys were worried about a resource, mule deer. And rather than go down to the bar or go down to the coffee shop and complain about it, they said, you know what? Let's, and this was, this was back before Al Gore had given us the internet at, at a really uh, high level. So what did we do? We, we, we got on the phone tree. And we called our, all of our buddies and said, hey, you got to be there. We're meeting down at the library Tuesday night at whatever. You think about how much work that was just to organize a meeting back then. Now you go on Facebook and you create a closed group and invite everybody and say, hey, we're going to be down at the pub at, you know, Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Be there. So it, but you, you give a perfect example of, of how a few guys who have an interest Decide we're going to do something about it, and you never know where that's going to take you. No. You know, and there was an, an incident, and I believe it was actually previous to the youth hunt, where um, I got a call from this guy. I think his name was uh, Randy something again, and he wanted to have a meeting, and he had this crazy notion to to allocate a few youth tags in a very high quality area in montana for a, a, a late season bull hunt bull elk bull elk and it was in what out of the gardener area so randy and another party and myself we met and he had this idea well why because he, he knew a, a, a landowner in that area who would actually take youth out 
on a hunt. It's a late season hunt. It's after the general season, which we we had some of those back then. It was a bull hunt. And you, you're, you're talking about shooting elk that were, you know, 330, 340 quality bulls. Nice elk. And, yeah. Nice elk. Real nice elk. <laughs> <laughs> Almost spoiled if you shot that as your first. <laughs> and so um, we, we tossed it around, decided to, uh, came up with kind of what it might look like. And uh, we went and talked, and I think it was Randy and I, and I'm not sure if all three of us went. We went and talked to the then pre- chairman of uh, our Fish and Game Commission, a, a gentleman named Stan Meyer, and we ran the idea by him. Stan thought it was a great idea. He said, yeah. and he was a good chairman, and he said, I'll get this through. Right. You guys have to go find the places for these kids to hunt. And we'll get it through. So we got on the phone. We jumped in our trucks and went and talked to every landowner we knew of, kind of begged, pleaded, and said, hey, if it was December, would you let these kids come in here? And that's, I think, what did we tell them? It was only going to be like 10 tags or five. Five 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 and went to 10. And voila, later that year, there were kids out there hunting elk. And, uh, you know, that hunt, uh, I'm not sure if it's still around today. It, it kind of morphed a little bit right. where it was a, a youth or, and or disabled hunt. Right. And uh, we actually, the, the original plan was to take this idea on the road to go to multiple units and, uh, around the state. And uh, there was some resistance uh, within the department with doing that. So we did get that one, one thing through. So, you know, it, it just... The organization headwaters and the the issues we just kept evolving, evolving, and evolving. And we were lucky that we had some great biologists who would come to headwaters early on. And early on, right. I think we, Kurt, Kurt Alt was uh, the initial biologist we were dealing with. Yeah. We would invite any biologist who wanted to come and talk to us, any policymaker, any politician. We invited anyone to come and talk to our group. And that's no, correct. And if nobody had come, we'd just drink beer. Right. <laughs> well, the, the beer, they, they finally uh, outlawed beer at the Fish and Game uh, uh, building. Right, so, that's yeah. when we moved it to Columbus Pizza. I know, but that, th- those days are gone. But I wanted to also point out a, a couple of things. Is, is My recollection is that one of the reasons for Headwaters' uh, initial meeting in a, in a, was that we we didn't identify uh, a group out there or another organization that was really representing the resident, non-guided, non-leasing public lands kind of hunters, and the, we were you know uh, we those of us that were on the initial board, we were looking for. Let's get together as a group. And as you say, you know, back then without the Internet, it's it's envelopes and stamps <laughs> and making phone calls. And, and we did it. We got uh, – and, and I want to impress on those that are listening to this podcast is that you can. Uh, you may be fortunate enough to have an organization already in place that you can go participate in. But we started from scratch, yeah. and we just went ahead and did it. And – and we uh, started uh, 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 identifying issues. 
where we've ended ended up, uh, my issues now that I'm currently working on, you know, the 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 uh, wolf regulations, uh, the elk uh, uh, quotas, uh, we're still very active in that in that uh, work, and our relationship with the biologist is still strong today. We started early to get with the people who are the experts that are providing the information and the data to make decisions, and we got to know them. We're, and we're now on to the second, third iteration. I mean, Kurt Alt's retired. He's on our board. He now works for the Wild Sheep Foundation. Yeah. And uh, we now have the, the biologists, the second or third uh, iteration, and we're still in close contact with those people. And so that's another little uh, you know, little uh, game uh, suggestion to those that are listening here is go – Find your biologist. Get to know them. Uh, they 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 work for you, quote unquote. They're government employees. That's what I did for thirty five years. When my phone rings, I expect you know they expect me to uh, at least talk to them for a while. <laughs> and uh, if they want to come and meet me face to face, you make that time. Yeah. Just do it. Well, and it's interesting how just thinking about it. In 1997, I remember going to the sporting goods stores and the coffee shops and posting handbills on their little bulletin board saying, hey, Headwaters is having a meeting at this time. And then over the course of its evolution, along came email. Right. I'm, I'm, well, I, I'm really making us sound old here, but I mean, right. it became it became more the accepted manner of communication. And now... I look at how, Shannon, how you have this big email list where it's almost a virtual organization, a digital organization. I've taken it that direction. I've had to. Right, because time constraints, people don't have time to say, you know, we need you to be there this night of the month for four hours or two hours or whatever. People just, they're so busy. So I think it's actually easier and I'm saying you're the one doing all the work, Shannon. So maybe I shouldn't say it this, is. But I can be much more effective. Th- too. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Is there are more issues, but you can be more effective. But before we go on to the next thing, Vito, uh, I, I got to interject a story here just because when I thought he was going to say it, and all three of us are sort of connected to this story. Vito talked about when it, the the person he was he and his wife were buying this business from said, "Oh, you got to call this Randy Newberg guy. He'll give you some duck hunting spots." So here's the gig. Shannon and I hunt this one spot outside of Bozeman that is to remain anonymous. And it's my favorite spot. And I don't know if you, uh, you this might come as a surprise to you, Vito. So Vito says, Randy, me and my friend, me and my son, we're looking for a place to go duck hunting. So I send him to like my, not even my number two spot. This is like my number eight spot. And I tell him where to go, where, you know, the ducks usually come from this way, depending on the wind. And I'm thinking, oh, he'll see some ducks, but there'll be a billion people there. And <laughs> he's, he, he needs to earn it anyhow. So me and my son pack up and we head to the spot Shannon and I often hunt and opening morning and we sit there and we don't pop a cap. There's not a duck anywhere in my nut spot number one. By noon, I'm pulling the decoys. I head home and come in. My wife's like, well, how was it? I'm like, oh, I think this little five-year-old or seven-year-old, I don't think he's impressed with duck hunting now. 
that night my phone rings and it's Vito. Man, I can't believe you sent me to that spot. We had our limits by 8 o'clock in the morning. That is the best spot. I can't believe someone would share a spot like that with a stranger. So it teach me huh i send him, no I, I think i'm sending him down the goat trail and right. i send him to the honey hole right. there is justice in the world <laughs> <really. laughs> uh, but anyhow i now i want to start getting into stuff and, and i'm going to ask you guys some of these questions so if i interrupt you uh, it's just because i'm 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 wanting to make points for for the listener because we we've all been in this for so long I think we take we have a tendency to take a lot for granted of how overwhelming it is to be an advocate or jump into that pool of advocacy and start doing what a lot of these listeners have told me they want to start doing. So uh, we've already bounced around some topics that some of the listeners might be saying, what, what, what is that? I mean, just the the organizational structures of and the separation between local county type based decision makers to state decision makers to federal decision makers. And then within each of those, if you want to call it areas, uh, county, state, federal, the different agencies and how those are structured. And I mean, it, and what decisions they make and right. what, what's Who, their area of, of uh, power right. and jurisdiction. It's just like county sheriffs versus a highway patrolman. Right. You need to know. Right. You need to know which uh, what they do and and uh, talk to the people that will really have an impact on that decision that you're interested in. You make a perfect point there, Shannon. And, and uh, this is one I wanted to get to, so we may as well do it right now. Uh, one of you said, get to know your biologists, or we invited biologists. Um, if you think about fishing game agencies at the state level, usually you have your legislature who... Unfortunately, they all think they're biologists. They all think they have PhDs in wildlife biology when most of them don't know their butt from a gopher hole when it comes to this stuff. But, you know, someone complained to them, so well, I'm going to set the season limits for fish or I'm going to set the whatever. But so you start with the legislature. Usually below that, we'd like it to be either equal to or above the legislature, are your commissions. Now, in the Western states, the commissions are separate from the state land boards and the state resource offices. Like here we have Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. In Idaho, they had have Idaho Game and Fish. Whereas where I grew up in Minnesota, your wildlife agency is in the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, which is within the land, the timber, the, uh, so it's just one of many, uh, many other interests being represented by an agency. So uh, I'm trying to distill this uh, so that no matter what, how your state is set up and structured, you understand that there is a process by which your state's agency operates. And, and it has its own culture. They've been doing business for decades and there are certain procedures and certain uh, uh, chains of command, uh, how uh, ideas are uh, uh, created, how they're evaluated, how the solutions are picked. And it'll take you some time to learn 
how all that works. And uh, it, 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 even as simple as going to a commission's, a commissioner's meeting, just like the regents where I played the game for 30 years. I U- was University t- regents. At the university, regents. the university right. regents. And I was a chair of faculty senate for five years. And it's very similar to uh, the commissioner's meetings for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. They're very formal. Yep. You have to be polite. There is a <laughs> there is a process of how you address the board. You start out with chairman, whoever, and members of the board before you say anything else. It is, and you speak to, through the chair. These are rules of of how to be polite at dinner, how to play well in the sandbox. And if you don't do that correctly, you will be discounted and your opinion will not count. So you may not want to stand up to the microphone in a formal public meeting. Those are tough. Yep. You know, I used to have my students, if they wanted to make up a class that they missed, they had to go to a, not only attend a public meeting, but speak at a public meeting <laughs> and it's it's a it's a skill that you'll you learn right. and they, they actually have lawyers and lobbyists that do this very very well right. so you're going up against some pros and you may not want to be able to or you may not choose to do that personally but there are organizations out there that you can become active in learn the uh, process learn what issues are coming down the pike and pick one don't pick 20 Pick one issue, get to be an expert at it so that you can talk to the biologists, to the decision makers, to the managers, to the legislators, to whoever it is that's making the decision. That's your goal. Uh, One thing that people need to realize, the head of the state agencies, generally speaking, are political appointees. That's That's correct. That's a great point. You know, so... um, who you, who gets elected determines the mentality of their appointees of their appointees and of their the department okay so the director of uh, Montana Fish and Game is direct, is appointed by the governor who is elected by the people so there's a direct flow of philosophy and policies that comes down that chain so one of the things you need to be aware of is the voting process is an integral part of the management decisions that come down out of your state agencies. Very, very good point, Vito. It's, and that's where I think if, if there's one thing I've noticed in my 30 years of advocacy is how politicized our issues have become. Over much more than I uh, ever thought. Yeah, much more than I ever thought. And you know, fifty-five years old, ten years ago, and I still have learned in the last few years. It amazes me more and more every year. Is you need to understand politicals and those very closely held beliefs on both sides on all three, four, five sides of all these issues, especially with wildlife, and you must be respectful. Those positions are held with as much vigor as you hold yours, and to just have a shouting match won't work. (laughs) I mean, we do it. We do it, and there's times where you just get down and fight 
dirty even in the you know in the newspapers <laughs> and write nasty letters but the bottom line is eventually you have to have a compromise and a solution that works for all those really closely held beliefs on all sides of the issues I, I think can say what you're going to say Vito but I think you've started us down a really valuable path here well the, the where, where where what it leads to is when you have political appointees oftentimes wildlife management science takes a back seat even though it's supposed to be a major guiding we're, force we're supposed to be managing wildlife based on the best science available right north american model tenant number one is yeah. science-based management exactly okay well when you have political appointees they're making decisions based on what's politically correct and on the beliefs of a political party, irrespective of the science involved. And as Randy indicated, uh, we've got all these legislators out there who think they they know it's something about wildlife management and science. And it's really interesting because we've all three have talked to many biologists and when you really talk to them and, and ask them hard questions about the science involved, so much of it is trial and error. They, they, it is not an exact science. Right. Uh, and, and so and these are the brightest of the brightest. And they know, hey, we need to try this. We're not sure if it's going to work. We can't really anticipate all the unintended consequences, but we think this is the best road to go. Whereas we have politicians who will sit there and say, this is what needs to be done to solve all of our wildlife management issues right. or habitat issues. As a general rule, uh, and the, the the followers have heard me say this, I I don't care if you're left, right, RD, somewhere further on the fringe or right down the middle. I'm about the the party of hunting, fishing, and public access. Bingo. I, I don't give two piles of steaming poop about what party anyone's from i'm an equal opportunity abuser and i think headwaters <clears throat> built a huge amount of credibility by not getting sucked into the r or d i never do right. blue red i never do blue red it's, i do is it, it, it is it good for the resource first yep and and at the very top are we going to be able to keep healthy populations of wildlife and gross you know we we do pick species from time to time and and uh, you know the, the the wolf and and the grizzly bear we were instrumental in bringing them back we were very very good at providing a large herd of elk for them to grow healthy populations and now it's time to delist and we're in that process of delisting and setting regulations for hunting a huge issue i never use Democrat or Republican okay. in that debate, never. You and as tempting as it is, especially in today's world, you look at the presidential primaries this year. It's just like, my goodness, hey, the, who we have as choices tells me how bad our system must be. But the in popular media, in the way we communicate in today's world, there's this tendency to to want to be in one camp or the other. And no matter which camp you pick, over the long period, half the time, you've created an enemy for wildlife by saying, I'm I'm an R or I'm a D. That's correct. It's, and we we that's not what got us here. If you look at Pittman-Robertson Act, 
Key Pittman, and uh, I can't remember Robertson's first name, but he was okay. the father of Pat Robertson, the, the evangelist. That's correct. We are talking to people from opposite fringes of that political world of the time in the 1930s. They came together and said, you know what? Wildlife is not a political issue. Let's, let's help fund wildlife through the Pittman-Robertson excise tax. And maybe because we can't put ourselves back in that, that environment of what the political ta- uh, tides were at that time, maybe, we, maybe it was just as bad at that time as, as it is today. But my point is, if you decide you're going to be an R or a D, you are not advocating for wildlife. You're advocating for your personal biases and you're advocating, you're going to be asked to be a team member. And at some point in time, you're going to be told, Hey, you hunters and anglers, you guys need to take a bunch of them for the team here. Yep. And I'm not good at that. You know, and one of the sad things that's really evolved in our political system, when the candidates come knocking on your door, you can ask them all the right questions. They will tell you exactly what they think you want to hear. And when if they get elected, all too often, they will go a different direction. And what's really bothersome is how the party caucuses demand and direct what the individual legislators can do and say. Now, we've seen that in Montana. Uh, I mean, all three of us have been involved in it heavily and have seen good politicians who really wanted to do the the right thing who were taken to the woodshed by their own party leaders because saying, you're not going to do that. Otherwise, everything you try to bring forth, we're going to kill. So you will follow party line, period, end of subject. That cycle needs to be broken. And there's a huge battle in Montana, as we're all aware of it right now, going on between moderate and ultra-conservatives. And who's going to control that party? Mm-hmm. The, you know, And so as an outsider looking in, you, you won't understand the, the dynamics going on behind the scenes at the legislature. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's a hard one. It's a tough one. But over time, you will because you will get your teeth handed to you occasionally by when you show up and advocate for wildlife. Some of these, like you said, Vito, some of these legislators will tell you what you want to hear and you get all excited and you show up and you go there and you kind of feel like you walk into an ambush. Mm-hmm. And, and you do. As, as you a do. side note, I've actually almost had to drag randy away from getting into a fist fight with uh, certain legislators there has been some, not in montana there, there has been some some times and uh I, I i think he secretly called him out to meet him at midnight and, and uh that you know not that randy has a temper but uh well it, part of that veto comes from growing up in a logging town in northern minnesota I, I was on the tail end of the, the wild days of logging in this little town of Big Falls. And uh, the, the, this is a tangent. We get, and uh, just so people understand where, where Vito's comment comes from, because I, I have a switch that when it gets hit, it's like, get out of the way. Uh, but in this little logging town, 
the the lumberjacks, or they call them the jacks, would go out in the winter and they called it strip cutting. They'd cut pulp wood. And they'd live in these little shacks and they'd get paid for their wood when it came to the mills in the spring. So they kind of had the summer off and they had money. And the amount of fist fighting and barroom brawling that went on in my little town of five or 600 people. As a kid, you grew up watching it. And I, like I said, this was on the tail end. So I'm like six, seven years old. And I mean, it, it was a, the language was not what you'd want your six or seven year old to listen to the, the evening activities were not. So I kind of grew up thinking, you know, and, and so people, I, I said, I, I always tell people, you know, in my town, we weren't, it wasn't the practice of socialism or capitalism or fascism or communism. It was pugilism. <laughs> the the toughest guy in town got to be the mayor. And if he said the earth was flat, the earth was flat because in the in, when you operate under a, a system of pugilism, the toughest guy is right. <laughs> so. You know, and and Randy scarred his very young son on a on an antelope hunting trip <laughs> that uh, I I was with him on uh it seems like uh, him and his boy were sitting on a, a little knob just off the road, glass in this big valley, looking at you, looking at some antelope and whatnot, and a group of guys came, uh, drove up behind them, and they were in the back of the pickup, and evidently they started lobbing shells over the top of Randy and and his boy into this herd of antelope at thousand yards or whatever. Story has it that Randy used every word you can imagine, called out all five or six of the guys, demanded they get out of their truck. He was going to whoop every single one of them. Uh, his, when we got to him, his son's eyes were still the size of silver dollars. Didn't know his dad could talk like that. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's. I'm sorry. Well, I'll bring I'm... it back to the legislature in Montana just for your <laughs> listeners a little bit. I mean, uh, you know you're you're uh, representing the resident hunters well when the chair of the natural resource committee, I think, in the Senate last time, you know, starts calling you blisters, and uh, you know, not quite swearing, but coming very close on open microphones in committee meetings. Uh, you know, calling each other names, but uh, yeah. I, uh, let me bring a little bit of wisdom out of this at the very <laughs> end. Is it, I think the point one, one of the the, the 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 point I'd like to make out of this whole thing is it's interesting. I, I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast that's interested in going into the quote unquote politics or or helping direct uh, uh, decisions about wildlife is learn what group your adversaries are representing are they representing the and in montana the big players i represent the resident thanks to Vito and to randy for starting headwaters i i now have an organization that we represent the resident non-guided non-leasing uh hunters and anglers who primarily hunt and fish on public uh, accessible land Okay, then 
We have the Montana Outfitters and Guides Association. They represent the non-resident hunters primarily that come and hire outfitters. We have the Farm Bureau and uh, UPPOM, the United Property Owners of Montana. Right. They represent uh, landowners. So know who they are representing. And yeah, we're going to yell and scream at each other, but when when those three particular groups, if we go to the legislature and the three sides are together, we can get things done. It right. doesn't make any difference about the R's and the D's and the reds and the blues. But understand who the people you're I want to say adversaries, you know, and that implies that it's going to be a battle. It's not necessarily a battle. Is there tension? Do they have a different goal and a different outcome that they want? Yes. Do, do, is there going to a chance for compromise? Well, you better if you're going to try to get regulations changed. Otherwise, it's going to be a dead heat, and whoever's in power gets wins. You, you make a good point, Shannon. And every state out there has its own regional, local dynamics of, of groups right. like you mentioned. And so I... The That's NGOs, the people that, that aren't even hunters and anglers. NGOs are, are non-government organizations. Right. We call them nonprofits. Um, so every state's going to have these dynamics. And you, Shannon makes a very good point. <clears throat> you need to decide what your interest is, wh who, who you either yourself individually, maybe you and five of your hunting, fishing friends, or maybe you're going to go join an existing group. Understand that you you are representing an interest. You're going to be across the table at times from other groups who are representing. And, and this is another interesting thing. Whenever we show up at legislative hearings or at public meetings, none of us are on a payroll. That is correct. And, and what, uh, you earlier talked about lobbyists and attorneys. Do you know how many times do you show up and the other side, they're all on a payroll? That's their job. Uh, yeah, uh, which brings up a good point. If you're going to get involved, understand something. It's going to cost you money. And time. And time. Okay, and whether time. it's gas money or whatever, getting involved is a process. And none of us, I think, have ever received a nickel of compensation uh, when going 30 trips to Helena in one legislative session uh, I, I've actually figured it out one time uh, as far as just gas money and whatnot. And I think if it came out to someplace around $2,000, I'd spend that. that Vito, we are trying to get these people to become advocates. <laughs> oh, really? Be quiet. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God for the internet. Yeah, you can do a lot long. with email. Yeah, Vito doesn't know how to use email, so he's got to drive it. <laughs> oh, man. Email? What was that? I'm still using a fax machine. <laughs> but uh, no, um if you get, getting involved is really simple, and one of the easiest things to do, sit down, call up, and talk with your representatives. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, we're lucky we're living in a smaller state where they're responsible, and they'll they'll talk to you before the the election and whatnot to get your vote. But after they're elected, sit down and talk to them about the issues that are important to you. One thing that's really easy to do, and you can do it strictly online. Look at the fish and game bills that be, are proposed for the legislative right. session. And, and all of you, no matter what state you're in, your legislature has a website, because I go to all the states and look at them, 
to do what Vito's talking about. You can go to your state legislature website and all the fish and game bills will get run through on the Senate side, a certain committee. It might be your DNR committee or your fish and game committee. Your House of Representatives is going to have a similar committee. And for the most part, those are where the bills you're talking about, Vito, are going to go through there. And recognize that I'm, I would imagine all of my new Montana does. You can email your comments, right. and that email goes to every committee member. That's correct. Okay. And so you can sit at your home in the evenings. Don't drive. You don't have to drive and testify. Just email your comments. Make sure you're informed on the issue. Okay. Don't just shoot from the hip. Right. Don't show up and just say, I'm mad. Right. That won't work. I mean, and I also recommend that that you always, always propose a solution, solution to in any of your communications. Yeah. And the other thing, if you're not sure of where this issue stands, ask your biologist. Yeah. They're, okay, they're not political. They're, they're oh. not political, and sometimes they're going to be a little reserved. So you have to be at least informed enough to ask them the questions so that they can just give you data and information. They're, they're not going to... They will get in trouble if they try to sway you one way or the other. Their job is to give you the information to help you make your case. Frame your question in such a way, is this good for wildlife, habitat? What is your professional opinion as to the impact it will have on the resource? And and that way, like I said, you can't put them in an R&D position. It, 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 They'll, they'll get hammered by their superiors. Okay, so you're just yeah, They won't even answer you. Yeah. Yeah, that's <clears throat> and that I mean for their own salvation that's kind no, of how it's got to be. One one of the things that you when you were talking both of you made points here that made me think about this is we're talking about headwaters here in Montana, but I think of how many other groups local rod and gun clubs around our state. And and again, we're talking about Montana, but Every state is very similar. Being on the border of the, uh, that I am on a national organization, I get to travel the country. I get to hear so many perspectives of, from other people. What I find is the problems are, have a, a different shade to them, but they're very similar in the basic, you know, the, the way the problem came about, how it's going to get solved, who, the, how the players and the landscape right, the of the game are is very similar. My point of, that I'm going to make here is, even though we're talking about the group we all involve ourselves with, Headwaters, we've got a lot of other allies in, in the state that we reach out to them. We're talking, we're communicating. And yeah, there might be some times when, you know, the group up in northern Montana has a different perspective than we do. But just about all the time, there are other groups in your state that share similar interests. So maybe your state has a bow hunters association and a sheep association, and you're just kind of a general, I want to represent my local hunters and anglers. Well, the three of you might have a difference on, on one topic, but on about 90% of the topics, you're going to have the same interest. And there's so many times I've looked at, all right, if we, if our little group just ran headlong into the, into the battle, we're going to get our teeth handed to us. I don't even do it. Yeah. I won't do it. But if we start talking to 
Maybe it's just a, a concerned citizen or maybe it's a, a, an affected business owner. If we can start building allies in our case, in our cause, to start, they call their representative or their county commissioner and that county commissioner calls a representative. Point being, you have way more allies in this process than you probably understand. You, you, the, and the way you find that out is you run into the battle all by yourself a time or two. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> let, let me just kind of back it up for a second. If you live in a community and there is not a local rod and gun organization where you can have like-minded people and have these discussions, form one. Yeah. It's, it, so, it's a piece of cake. Yeah. I mean, in Montana. In today's world, it, it's easy. It, yeah. it, Montana, I can form an association. I can go online to the Secretary of State office and have everything done in an hour, send them my 70 bucks. and in, in, 20 bucks. Is it? Yeah, $20 well, renewal. Well, I was thinking of the LLC. Only yeah. if you're late yeah. like I am every yeah. year. Yeah, you know, you, you send them a few bucks and you can form an organization. You can get five like-minded people together. Get the right people, not whiners, not complainers, solution-oriented, intelligent people. Form your own group. Right. That's how it starts. It is so damn easy. And so to that point, you're exactly right, Vito. And here's a, here's a question that's going through some of the listeners' minds when you say that. Well, I don't have the time to fill out all the paperwork to be a, a nonprofit organization. Hold it right there. I mm, and so you don't have to be a nonprofit organization. You can just be an association. If you're just an association like Headwaters is, that's correct. You, you, the donations, the, the membership dues are not deductible because we've not went through the whole process of getting exempted. We are not a 501c3. Which, so in order for the donations to be deductible, you have to file with the IRS and get a determination letter that you're in a nonprofit organization under Internal Revenue Code Section 501c3, which is what what people always think. Well, our little group, we didn't, you know, we did not do that. No, twenty bucks a year or whatever. Plus, if you do that, the IRS says you can't do all these political things. You can't be involved in politics. You can't lobby. That's you can't correct. do whatever. So, so I want people to understand. Vito's point of forming your own little association is a slam dunk easy thing to do. But don't feel like you have to go through the full process of becoming a qualified 501c3 because that requires an annual tax return. Just the filing fee is 600 or 800 bucks. It's you need accountants, attorneys, all that stuff. Unless you really have big aspirations, don't don't worry about that. Point of clarification just the way you said it. If you just form as an association right. and you're not a, a nonprofit, not a five, you can advocate on a political in the political arena. Yep. Okay, you because your your dues are not tax deductible. You can support candidates, et cetera, et cetera. It's only when you are a five hundred one c three where you're blocked out of political act uh, activity Advocacy, from right, that exactly. level. Right. The IRS says if you're going to be a 501c3, here's all these restrictions on what you can do in lobbying, supporting legislation, endorsing candidates, which gets me to another point that I think a lot of people say, well, I sent my $40 to this national group or my $100 to this national group and they should do my advocacy for me. In theory, that sounds great. 
But all of those groups are 501c3 organizations. So they cannot go and do these things. They are forbidden to become advocacies for who you should vote for or how you should vote. You can't communicate that information. You're exactly right, Shannon. And so my point of that is don't get frustrated at those groups because they aren't doing all this political advocacy for you. By their very organizational structure, they can't. And the opponents to your, your, your position know that. So though most often the opponents that are the paid staff that we end up debating or arguing against when we go to these meetings, are organ- they are trade industry associations or they are other associations that are not volunteer groups. They're not 501c3, so we can't send our XYZ Wildlife National Organization to represent us there and lobby politicians. These groups know that. They're like, well, we got a paid attorney on staff. We got this paid professional speaker on our staff. We're sending them to the legislature, and guess what? These hunters and anglers are so dumb. Everything they do is in a 501c3 organization, and they... We have no resistance other than if a few of their volunteers show up, well, we'll just steamroll them. I mean, that's kind of... I'm, I'm, that's exactly the way it happens. So That's exactly the way it happens. So uh, the point is, the more of these little... Uh, we're almost in a guerrilla war, if you want to look at it that way. If you want to make this you know, a political battle and use some, some military kind of ideas about it, we are very effective as little guerrilla groups. Uh, we pick our battles wisely. <laughs> exactly. And nothing scares a politician more than six well-informed grassroots voters from right. their district who show up and say, show up. we have we're, to- we're articulate. We yeah. understand the issues. We have talked to you before. Yeah. And this is this is what we would like to see as an outcome, right? It, it, that gets their attention. And with some, you guys might know this is the old saying of that the the world is decided by those who show up or something like that, <laughs> or you know. And that's really how it works in this policy arena, whether it's actual in state houses or it's in public meetings with agencies. If you aren't showing up or you aren't being heard through email, through a group that you represent, guess what? These groups are not mind readers. They don't look every person up in the phone book and call them and say, hey, and now the listener's like, phone book? Who, who has a phone book anyway? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me restate that. Right. I'm aging myself here. These agencies don't go through a huge email list and email everybody and say, hey, what do you think about this? It's your responsibility to show up and be heard present your case, bring as much force, i.e. people and other opinions with you. Because the other side is doing that. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the issues we're dealing with, the the decision-making rests with our Department of Fish and Game, the commission and the department. A lot of our hunting and fishing issues, et cetera, come from them. If you have an issue that is coming before your commission, Fish and Game Commission, and you show up with 25 people at that meeting, 
I guarantee you. You are the majority. You are the majority. <laughs> and if you have good reasoning, sound logic, you can really create some havoc and get, affect real changes. A lot easier than affecting changes at the legislature. Mm-hmm. Much easier. And, and all three of us have gone to a lot of commission meetings and have had successes Absolutely. going mm-hmm. there. Okay? You go informed. But if there's a group of you, I have always used to say when in the early days of Headwaters, at any commission meeting, if I show up with 30 people, I will probably have get the decision that we wanted, as long as we had good science right. uh, behind us and whatnot. So, uh, and that's a, a much easier road than the legislature yeah and and that's where you know the you you get into this blending of politics i.e legislature and policy which is often the agencies and a, a lot of times and it's getting worse and worse is the legislature wants to tell the agency what's best they want to dictate how the game is played right and so as much as hunters don't like politics as a general rule hunters and anglers we're kind of you know me or me and my buddy or me and my wife or me and my friend where we just want to go do our thing don't by our very nature we are not political animals we don't like to make a stink we we're kind of the well-behaved citizens we're the just so all the things that need to be to be done that the the day-to-day activities the actions that make a difference are contrary to what our personalities are and again the other side understands that that's why they take it to the legislature they've they've taken all they of our win is, there right they've taken our issues from out of the power of commissions and they say oh commission you get to set seasons that's about it or quotas all the other things, fee increases, who's going to get preferential treatment in license allocations or blah, blah, blah. Those now have all been drug over to the legislature because they know hunters don't like to go there. Anglers don't like to go there. We're busy. We all have jobs. And over there. They have paid lobbyists. They have paid lobbyists. They are paid to show up with coat and tie yeah. and you know formal wear and very articulate and they are good and and we can complain about that but complaining doesn't change the reality of that and and i tell people this this is the analogy i use you know what over the course of the last hundred years hunters have geared up to play football we are like the denver bronco nfl super bowl champions right now when it comes to conservation and science and wildlife experiments and wildlife restoration we're the denver broncos not the minnesota vikings no no not yet (laughs) i'm hoping for the day i can use them as the super bowl champion example but so we've been playing football all along and along the way those opposed to our interests have got the rules changed to hockey and so now we're sending a bunch in a different of, arena. Yeah, on the other side of the state, right behind closed doors, almost. I yep. mean, it's so. It, so we good. think we're playing football. So we drafted this team of big linemen and you know fast wide receivers, and now we wake up and we realize that they got the rules changed, and we're playing hockey. These fat linemen and fast receivers don't do very good on skates. In, in other words, 
the, the over time these groups realized, hey, you know what? These hunters and anglers are really good in the commission world. They they run that commission system. Those commissioners are accountable to these con, their constituent groups because we're paying the freight. Let's just change the rules. Let's change it to politics. Let's take it to the legislature. And that's what's happened in the last 20 years. And even at the national level, let's take it away from from agencies and state decisions and let's make them D.C. Senate House of Representatives. And I hate Congress. to bring it up, Randy, but then if it doesn't work there, they go to the courts. Right. Yep. And I don't even want, I don't know if no, we have time we, to cover that in this no, podcast. That, we've we've but done that in some strategy. past podcasts and we'll we'll do it in future ones, but my point is this. You you, you can if you're a hunter and, or angler and you're not inclined to be engaged in politics, that's a conscious decision to say, you know what? I'm not going to step outside my my comfort level because I don't like politics. But when you make that decision, you are kind of handicapping yourself. Politics will be made with or without, without you. you. Okay, yeah. but if you don't want to get involved in the political side of it, you can still be involved in organizations that are not 5013Cs. Right. You can do a lot of support for that organization yep. behind the scenes. You don't necessarily, if you don't want to go there, you can still be part of the solution. Right. Everyone can... There's, there's enough work, work to be to done. Do. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of work. So don't. And I, you know, after all these years, we've all experienced serious frustration. Yeah. And we've probably all at one point in time said, "I want it. I want to get this the hell with this. It's just not worth it." Anymore. When Tom right. Sather brought the thumb drive to the one meeting where I finally was forced to take over, yeah. he says, "I'm done. Somebody take this thumb drive. I am out of here." So, yeah. so yeah. Re- recognize you're going to hit that wall. It's yeah. there because the, this is difficult stuff you're working on. You have to work through it. And my best solution I can give you is going back to the movie Animal House where John Belushi says, I recommend you start drinking heavily. Yeah. <laughs> and so, see, now, Vito, our audience, they, most of them were born after Animal House ever became a movie. So, it's still now, worth watching. Now they're going to have to go on to Netflix and right. stream. They're, they're, so, see, we would go and try to find out when is that on TV? And right. I would show up and, and sit well, in my It's in my, my DVDs collection. That's right, yeah, <laughs> or my VHS collection. Right. Our audience <laughs> of this podcast is going to go to Netflix, search right. it, and stream it on their, on their phone as they're flying to wherever. But, they figured out how to deal with the political process. Yeah. <laughs> but, but your point is, is well taken, Vito, that everybody has some talent in 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 the nonprofit world they say you either have time talent or treasure in other words you've got time you've got talent that you've got some specialty that can help the organization or you've got treasure in other words you know what i'm busy but i can write some checks right. <laughs> and, and, and all three of them are extremely helpful and i'll i'll use the headwater example so i lucked out and in college, I took a lot of business and professional speaking because I, I hated getting up and speaking. I, I, I would rather Who have, would have ever guessed. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have rather faced a grizzly bear with a sharp stick than to uh, get up and even have to say, my name is Randy Newberg. That's how much I hated speaking. And when I was in college, I, said, I just said, you know what, Randy, you, you got to get over this. So I took 
two or took a full year of business and professional speaking. Good for you. And so that's part of how I ended up being this mouthpiece for a lot of things is, okay, once I did that, and then, okay, I'm in the CPA world, the accounting world. Accountants hate speaking. So whenever the firm needed someone to go and speak, it was like, oh, we'll have Randy do it. You know, okay, oh, he'll do anything. Oh, he's got a big mouth, blah, blah, blah. Point being, I may not have been the best organizer, I may not have been the best this or whatever. I had my one trait was, okay, he can get up and talk in front of a crowd and it doesn't bother him at all. There's other guys in our group that had really good scientific backgrounds. There's other guys who had really good organizational skills. Some were good at going out and building collaborative relationships with other groups. So everybody has some talent or some skill that they can bring to the table that makes a difference. Get involved. If you love your sport, and, you know, in talking to Randy, the demographics, because a lot of you folks are listening to this, are in the younger age group. This is not about just you. It's about your children. Uh, Myself, Shannon particularly, we're the past. Randy's kind of the present from an age structure. You folks are the future. You and your kids are the future of the sport, of wildlife management, habitat. You need to protect it. You need to get involved. We go to these organizations. We go to these meetings. All what we see is generally a lot of old graybeards. That's correct. And you know what? We're dying off. We're losing energy. And we'll make it through our lifetimes, but it's you folks that are at risk. And you need to understand that you have to stand up. Your age bracket, we all, every group I've been involved with, we always talk about, we don't have any young people involved. We need you. You have to get involved. I'm all for that pep talk. Dito, well said. (laughs) It is. And, And part of that is a function of how busy lives are today. You know, I... I only had one child, so some people would say if you only have one kid, you're really not a parent because they, mm-hmm. you know, if you blame the kids, you've blamed the right kid and they don't fight with each other. You don't, you know, who are they going to fight with the dog? Right. But I think about how busy my life was with my wife. Her career goal was to be a stay at home mom. And that's not the norm today. The norm is you have two, three kids, both spouses are working. Two jobs. Yeah. And I think about how busy my life was. And I'm like, if my life was that busy, how how can I expect these people where both spouses are working and they got three kids and soccer and hockey and karate and, and scouts and, and uh, you know, whatever it is. Someone's, have, you know, we got an elderly parent. One of them's got to, you know, got to take care of one of those. That's, it's very, very difficult. But Vito's point is very well taken. If, if you're passionate about this, if hunting, fishing, and public lands and access is your thing, it's, it's no longer enough to just go buy your fishing license or buy your hunting license. Yeah, that goes to the agency and that helps. It's no longer enough to just send your $20 to your favorite critter group. The time has come to be more involved let me by everyone at every level randy i know we're 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 probably going to wind this down a little bit i got two little points 
Uh, one is you're the, you're saying that the, uh, marital counseling is part of this program. <laughs> uh, so my first point is uh, how I've been able to balance uh, what I'm doing now is that I'm retired. And before that, I was so busy that I could not devote as much time, although I did, right. uh, to uh, the activity of, of, of uh, protecting and expanding hunting and fishing opportunities for me and, and uh, my children. But I married my hunting partner. There's a solution. <laughs> There's one solution right there. You or know? or Di- whoever you're married to, make them your hunting <laughs> That's partner. That's correct. I mean, Diane and I, we ski together, we hunt together, we fish together, we travel together, and we raise kids together. And and uh, so that helps a lot. I mean, I, I just, I don't hunt with hardly anybody else anymore diane's my hunting partner okay yeah. that's 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 probably more important than number two but number two is uh the internet is the way that i am able to do what i do i get up in the morning uh i, I the first thing i do is turn on my computer i have hunt talk as my first uh, 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 page on uh, my browser, uh, and, and I didn't. I didn't pay Shannon. No, to say he did that. not. Randy did not. And and I, I follow my issues on Hunt Talk. Uh, that's what I do. And I used to have a pretty good Facebook presence. I've kind of pulled back from that. I mean, I'm married with three daughters and six grandkids, and everybody's on Facebook. I don't have time for that. So I've kind of just really narrowed down my activity. Uh, I follow Hunt Talk. I I follow a couple other blogs. Uh, I am on uh, communication, email communication trees with the other, as, as Randy was talking uh, before, that there's other groups around the state. I know the key players for most of those, and we are in communication so that if an issue comes up and, and things happen quickly, There'll be a there'll be a commissioner's meeting or a rule change that's coming down, and we only have a week, ten days to get uh, written comments in and and uh, have somebody show up. I have a a, a, a couple three hundred email addresses. I do almost everything now by email. I have 150 paid members. 15 of those members still don't have email, Randy. So that shows you the age <laughs> dynamics of our of the group that we started. So I still have uh, address labels and stamps that I communicate. They're, they pay their dues religiously, right. and they're just as involved as – but they don't have email, right. and they choose not to. Right. And so I communicate with them in the old style. But if I had to do the whole organization that way, I wouldn't have time to do it. Yeah. It's all electronics. So you can find um, uh, my, my pep talk to those of you that are listening. Passion's number one. You've got the, if you've got the fever, great. Go do it. Then if you want to see and if you, if you realize that maybe you need to be doing something larger in terms of regulations and politics to preserve what you love so much, get involved. Go ahead. It's all The information's out there. Hunt Talk happens to be the one I really like because I'm active on that particular blog. But there's others. Right. Maybe not as good, but there's others. Uh, no, that, that, I appreciate <laughs> so anyway, that, that's, Shannon, that's, that's That's where I'm at. Yeah, and, and in the digital world, I mean, you can even – since most of this audience is on Facebook or a similar platform, you can create private groups on Facebook and invite just your six buddies who like to archery fish for carp on Memorial weekend. I mean, you can make it as precise as you want it to be. And if there were just six of you, you would be surprised how effective you can be at the agency level 
and at the political level. It's, it is amazing the changes that technology has brought. When we formed Headwaters, we didn't have this, this available to us. It is so easy today to communicate, whether it, it, it's through Facebook, which, which is popular, whatever it is, you can set up your, your contacts and get involved. And you can do this at home after the kids go to bed, after practices are done, if you could dedicate a half an hour, three times a week, you could be tremendously effective. Find that, find your friends in, in the same arena. Bring them together. They're looking for a leader. That's okay? right. Leadership Rec- happens in a vacuum, and then the vacuum gets filled because someone stepped forward. Yeah. It, look, most people do not like leadership. It's a very small percentage of people that are actually go into leadership. If you're one of those people that's in leadership, put the group together. If you're not one in, le- in leadership, identify one of your friends who is a leader and go to them. Say, hey, you need to for- help form this group. Yeah, exactly right. And th- that point right there about leadership and someone stepping up kind of gets me to a, <clears throat> another headwater story. And this is on a federal level. Uh, when the big land exchange was happening here in Montana, a little bit into Idaho, mostly in Montana, uh, there was a public meeting at the Holiday Inn here in Bozeman, and I think all of us were there. I was there. And uh, Senator Baucus, who was, he was a long-tenured senator in the U.S. Senate. Uh, he, he came to that meeting with all of his staff. And if you can kind of think about how these meeting rooms get set up. There's usually an aisle down the middle that has no chairs, and then there's chairs on the right, chairs on the left. All of us hunters are sitting on the left-hand side in the back, and the other groups that maybe aren't as, uh, what would I say, uh, connected to our cause, or if they are not for the same reasons, they had close relations with the staff of the senator. And they were getting up, and they were... I mean, a lot of them were paid professionals. This is their job. And it was, things were going really smooth, their direction. And, and the senator's sitting there. And finally, Randy pops a cork. Randy stands up in the back of the room and goes on like a five-minute tirade. Surprise, and I, surprise. And I don't know that it was a tirade. It was just a story about, you know, don't clarification of the issues right and i i went in this long dissertation about what hunters have done on this landscape and we're the ones who kind of planted the garden here for all the wildlife we were the ones buying the land that everyone's arguing about we were the ones buying the critical winter range back in the 50s and da 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 and the whole room turns and looks like who is boy that guy is wound up we better calm him down point being after that meeting, the senator himself came up to me, and I think some of you guys were standing there, and he said, I've been waiting for you guys to show up. Where have you guys been in this discussion? And to your point, Vito, leadership or getting mad or reaching your point of where I've had enough, whatever you want to call it, these political leaders are waiting for you to do that. We finally stood up and said, we are going to interject ourselves to this very important discussion that affected hundreds of thousands of acres of public access. And the senator himself said, thank you. Finally, the hunters have shown up and given their voice. 
And then he assigned one of his staff people, Alicia, to, I mean, she was calling us all the time. It's your, your point taken. Where, where did that all end up leading? How did that all turn out? We actually, as headwaters, got involved with it, met with the not just Senator Bacchus, Senator Burns, and right, Representative Burns. Hill, right. all at the, at the same time. If you recall, we actually had in point, input in rewriting a portion of the bill that went before Congress because they were going to hold the Taylor Fork parcels hostage right. for a timber sale. We got them to transfer that over to the bang tails. Mm-hmm. Right, that's correct. So, the the point Vito is making is now what was going to be we're a big players, right? A big piece of congressional legislation that affected a huge swath of federal lands in Montana now reflected the interest of hunters and our access needs and our our all the things habitat and so many other things that were important to us that right. if we hadn't stepped forward, we'd probably be sitting here saying, "Damn it, can you believe they did that?" Yeah, where's that subdivision? You know, here's this new subdivision road going into Porcupine, or you know, or something horrible. We saved 2,500 acres in Taylor Fork, critical elk, grizzly habitat, from being logged, from being sold, subdivided, and that that now in perpetuity. You, you folks listening, you come to Montana, you, your kids, will still be able to enjoy that pristine environment. Right. And Vito says Taylor's Fork, that, that back end there, that little section where they migrate through, that was one little piece of that. Mm-hmm. The other part was just hundreds of thousands of acres were going to be blocked off for access because of the way that, that some new landowners had come in and bought all the checkerboard and stuff. And so my whole point of bringing that up is back to what you said leaders um and i some call it leader you call it whatever you want if you step forward and speak and you articulate a cause for what you're passionate about trust me others are going to follow Mm -hmm. and those decision makers are going to look to you for a voice and for leadership because no one else out there is doing it these people know that the other side are paid professionals, that they are paid to come here and say the same party line, no matter what the issue is. That's correct. So if five very articulate, passionate outdoors people showed up at a legislative hearing and five lobbyists showed up, at least in the public testimony, the five citizens, non-paid you know, volunteers, probably have a greater influence on those politicians than the five lobbyists. Unfortunately, after the hearing, those five lobbyists are going to go golfing, buy them drinks, take them, you know, whatever. So that the game slanted against us there. But point is, it's still is, and I know some are like Randy. This is such basic civics. It's, yeah, but it's it's it, it's it's true. It, it, you do true. make a difference. Yeah, and. And I'm I'm going to do a little spin on it. Is I don't see myself so much as a leader, but I'm very good at organizational skills. You got to keep track of the commission meetings. You got to keep track of the emails. You've got to you you have to go and and meet people at the meetings, and you see the same people showing up. You go over and talk to them afterwards. You build networks. Not necessarily. I'm not sure if it's leadership, but it's willing to take the time to show up. 
and be educated and provide solutions. The decision makers that I have the most success with is they want to hear from us. They, what's your solutions? Tell us what, tell us, give me something that I can go back to my, my uh, voters and my constituencies and say, you know, th- here's a solution that came from the hunters that, that makes sense to me. What do you think? That's, you know, I, I'm not exactly right. sure what that is. It's a good manager, not right. necessarily it, leadership, but it's good management skills. to have yeah. organizational skills in this because there's a million moving parts. It's something, in my mind, people need to realize, particularly the young people, I personally believe we are at a tipping point in this country for the future of uh, land access, wildlife management, et cetera. It's, we, it, it, it is that serious right now. Uh, don't sit on your hands thinking, oh, somebody else will take care of it or it's going to be fine. If you develop that attitude, you're going to end up living in a different world than the three of us have lived in and grown up in no doubt about it and your kids will never enjoy what you might be enjoying definitely what we we are enjoying so i really believe that we are at close to a tipping point in this country and we need everyone to step up have a say in it protect your public lands Get involved. Like I said, if you don't, then be satisfied 20 years from now. Be satisfied with what you have. And don't look back and complain. Yeah. And I'm. we've talked about our little local group here, Headwaters, and how it's had a big impact over 20 years of policy in, in this part of the world. I'm going to bring up three other groups just, just so that people can relate to other places where this happens. And all three of these groups started out as little ideas and grew to different degrees of, of prominence, either statewide or national. Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society in Colorado be, has, it started out with just some guys, sheep hunters, wild sheep hunters, who were interested about their local Colorado issue of bighorn sheep. They are now as powerful of a advocate for wild sheep in Colorado as you could ever imagine. They are the players. And not because one of them was the governor or because one of them was a billionaire and wrote a huge check. A bunch of just roll up your sleeves kind of guys from the, you know, the blue collar to the white collar to the whatever you want to call it, just showed up and organized. And right now uh, they, they are... A, a serious player on the landscape. And I suspect when those guys started that group, they had no idea that just by stepping forward and being leaders, they could create the amount of change and advocate to create such positive benefit as they have. I mean, Colorado has a lot of wild sheep now. That They have reversed a trend that was going the wrong direction. So my point is, I, I don't know who those founders were. I've never talked to them. I know a bunch of the guys running it now who are just serious, great advocates. They're busy. They have jobs. They're, you know, they're they're the classic American two two household or a two job household with kids. They've found a way through organization skills, through uh, you know the electronic communication, through the digital world, 
they're making a huge difference. That's, that's just one example in, in Colorado. Then if you're familiar with the backcountry hunters and anglers, I think they're only like seven or eight years old. Yeah, they're very young. And they were a group of backpack, I think backpack elk hunters or mule deer hunters in Idaho, Oregon, somewhere like that. I should know the story better, but I apologize that I don't. And around a campfire, they said, you know what? We got to start being bigger and louder advocates for this cause. And they didn't just complain down at the bar or, you know, when their buddies were over for the football game, they didn't drink beer and they'd bemoan the situation. They said, let's do something. And now they are like, they're big players. Yeah. They, on, on both a regional, you know, Western basis, but now they're expanding They're They are now a player on a national level. They're a player in D.C. Right. They're a player in D.C. And, you know, I some listeners are going to say, well, I don't like that cheap group in Colorado, or I don't like BHA, or whatever. I don't care. I, my point is these are examples of groups that have done something. And then I take a group that's even older, but in terms of our lives, it doesn't seem that old. Maybe to some of these listeners it sounds old. 34 years ago, 30, no, 31 years ago, I should know this, Four guys in Troy, Montana were sitting around one day worried about the future of elk. And they started a group called the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Here we are a little over 30 years later, 220,000 members. Wow. 500 chapters, 11,000 volunteers. And they started building that long before Al Gore gave us the internet. It, my point of this is, all of these have a similar story of passionate conservationists, passionate hunters and anglers standing up and saying, you know, I'm going to do something. And I bet you none of them knew really where it was going to go and what they were going to do other than they weren't going to stand by and let the status quo be the status quo. You bring up an interesting point. I, there's a, a business book I, I really enjoy. And when they talk about businesses, they say it always starts with the who, not the what. Mm -hmm. You get the right people together first, then you figure out where you're going to go. And I, I and, and in business world that's so true, and in the, the hunting world, in the, what we're talking about, these organizations get the right people put together, yeah, and the right organization and framework. I mean, that's what I do. Is I, I don't create uh, a plan or a vision. I mean, I have one, but that's not what I do day to day. I only commit a couple hours every morning to to this voluntary volunteer volunteer work. It comes to me. I don't know whether this is, you know, is it grizzly bears today? Is it elk today? Is it stream access today? Uh, you know, whatever hunt talk <laughs> brings up <laughs> in the morning, that's my, you know, that's my marching orders. Uh, and I choose, you know, is this something that I can have an impact uh, on? Do I know the decision makers? Do I know the players? If not, I let it go. I, I mean, it, I can't fight all the battles. There's plenty of work to be done. Yeah, that's important also. And we touched on that earlier when we kind of said you can say no. 
I think what we were trying to get to is what you just said there. Oh, I get requests all the time. Will headwaters do this? Will headwaters do that? And I, you know, sometimes I do. Sometimes it's an issue that I'm, I wasn't even aware of. Right. Uh, but for the most part, I, I'm very, very careful. Uh, I don't have an infinite amount of time. I want to go hunt and fish and raise kids. (laughs) You know, that's what I want to do. And that, that to our listeners, don't feel like you got to be everything to all people. You know, maybe it's just you're going to write one email. And from a day-to-day strategy standpoint, if you look at my bookmarks on my web browser, there is the Montana State Legislature website. So that if I want to email one of those legislators, I click that bookmark and I know exactly, all right, here's the portal that gets me all their email addresses. I have the same thing for the U.S. Senate. I have the same thing for Congress. Those are three very important things that I use on a very frequent basis to communicate with politicians. Other day-to-day things I do, I I get my news from a lot of these. You, you talked about other blogs besides Hunt Talk. I go to other information sources. I subscribe to email newsletters in the outdoor public land sphere. And some of them I subscribe to they cause my blood pressure to go through the roof because I specifically subscribe to newsletters from what I would call opponents because I want to know what their game plan is. And I don't expect the listeners to do that because, you know, it it takes time. But for me, this is my life. This is what I live for. I'm I'm at that point in my life where I want to know what the other guy's doing. I want to know if he's going to file a lawsuit or if they're going to try stop trapping or hunting or whatever. I... So if someone saw my emails, they'd think I was some sort of Benedict Arnold trader sort of guy because I get a lot of a lot of mailing lists from other places that I guess affect what what I want to see for an outcome. My point is, when someone says I want to be an advocate, figure out a way in your daily or weekly life that it's easy to become an advocate. You you bring up an interesting point as you are thinking about who to get involved with, who you who you want to work with, volunteer with. You need to be very careful. I would say do some research before you get involved with the organizations. There are organizations that have very catchy names. They think this has got to be the right organization. Do your homework before you get involved because they are not always as they seem. And I will uh, give a little plug. If you're thinking about getting involved in an organization and want to figure out who they really are, put a thread on Hunt Talk. You'll find out real quick, (laughs) and you'll get some very honest discussions because there are – some there's even a, a national organization that's under an awful lot of heat right now, and you probably aren't even aware of it. And I'm not going to mention them. No. But if you I've go, already thought once, but if, I didn't. If, if if you want before you get involved, do some research. Make sure you're getting involved with the right organization. Yeah, and and the other part to that is, <clears throat> if you start building your little club or your little sphere of influence, whatever it's going to be. As quick as you start leading, expect these other organizations to come and try to hijack you, to bring you under their umbrella. Oh, you should you should become one of our affiliates. You should be whatever. No. 
Stay independent. Be your own self. At times, work with them if it's helpful, but don't don't let your leadership, your momentum, get hijacked by others because it'll dilute you. You'll be asked. It's it, it almost becomes They'll a little. They'll take bit, you in directions you don't want to go. Right. So and work with them. Collaborate when helpful. But be your own group. Be your own people. Be your own person. If you remember when headwaters were formed, and you were the one of the one of the ones that said there was there wasn't another group, a statewide group that said, "Well, you need to be under us." And it was decided head the headwaters board made a very conscious decision. We wanted no baggage. We were a brand new organization. We had had nothing to live up to or live down to. And no, we were not going to be associated with anybody. We were going to find ourselves first. Right. And that's one of the best decisions we made at the at the beginning. Right. And and I would in that group that wanted us to be a part of them, they do a lot of good work. They still do. Yeah. But if if it's your passion and you want to stay vested in that vision of where you want to create change. Don't be afraid to continue to just, hey, you know what? Me and my 10, 10 fishing buddies or 10 hunting buddies, we're good with where we're at. We, we don't, you know, we, we, don't, <laughs> we don't need to be uh, co-opted by somebody else, some other group. That, well, there's so. going to be times when you're going to disagree with them. Right. And you want to be able to step up and uh, make your own case. Yeah. And like I said, it, it's worked well for Headwaters and it works well for a lot of organizations. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up here. I, I, the reason this we had this discussion, and we're going to probably, I suspect, out on Hunt Talk, this is going to generate a whole list of other questions and, and comments when people start talking about this. Uh, the point was to give you an example of how it's worked in one place in the world. And I've been around enough. We've all traveled enough. We know this same model, these same ideas, the same advocacy, the same kind of landscape exists everywhere. Everyone listening to this podcast who has an interest or wants to see a different outcome kind of is in the same situation we found ourselves in and find ourselves in today. You don't, you do not need a TV show. You do not need a podcast. You do not need a big website to be an advocate for wildlife. I, I mean, Think about it when we started doing our things. I, none of us had a TV show or a website. We didn't even know what websites were, I don't think, or we would have tried to communicate that way. But One well-educated, well-spoken individual can effect change. Yeah. yeah. I just got a, 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 an ending comment. Uh, this last legislative session, believe it or not, Vito, I only drove to Helena five times. And that, you know, Vito says he spent $2,000 going back and forth. I used to drive that all the time. I mean, you just, oh, my God. It's, uh, it's exactly 101 miles from my house to the footsteps of the Capitol building in Helena, Montana. I only went five times this last session, and I had a, and I did emails almost daily. Yep. So the electronic communication is big. Vito and I, he, he runs a, uh, he, he, he split from headwaters and started the, the Montana, uh, sportsman's Alliance. Uh, both of us used the tagline. We're the voice of reason. I'm here to give the pep talk. You can be the voice of reason and you will be amazed at how many politicians and bureaucrats and biologists and decision makers will listen. Right. They want people to come that are reasonable 
not hot-headed, but represent, you know, the the, the non-guided, non-leasing public hunters. If that's your niche, I mean, you may choose some other group to represent. Be honest about it. I'm here to represent them, and here's my solution. This will work for us. Anyway, that's, that's it. It's been fun. What yeah. a hoot. I'm going to go hunting and fishing, and I'm checking my <laughs> duck blind <laughs> this afternoon, and I'm not going to tell you where. I know where it is, Shannon. I've seen your pictures before. I've walked by that duck blind before, but Vito, you got any parting wisdom? No. In, in, the only thing I can say is, you know, for your kids, for yourself, get, get involved with it, uh, and you will meet some great people. You'll, you'll have some good times. You'll get angry at times. You'll you'll have your successes. You'll have your failures. Don't worry about it. Just get involved. It it's worth every every cent I've spent and every minute of my time. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Well, guys, I thank you so much for your your time of of sharing this. Uh, we are the old gray haired crowd. Uh, I'm 51. I'm not going to ask Shannon and Vito how old they are, but they're older than older. Yeah, that's we'll just go with older than either. (laughs) And Randy, we want to thank you. I mean, we you're you know you're you're a a pillar and a great uh, example for all of us. I'm glad what you do distills the information for me, and I I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you, Shannon, and uh, so I want to thank all of you for listening, and and I think. We've probably plugged our Hunt Talk Forum pretty hard here in this podcast, but that is a place uh, where so much information gets shared. And here's the other thing that a lot of you don't know about Hunt Talk. I get to see it because I see the admin panel. I run the admin panel. And what that means is I can look at every IP address, every email. And I shouldn't tell this trick because people will quit emailing me. But if you send me an email, the first thing I do is I skin your IP address off your email because I want to be able to see if you show up out on my hunt talk forum. So sometimes I will post something out on hunt talk just for effect to see if so-and-so responds because we call them lurkers. If you go on to hunt talk, it'll say, okay, right now there are 200 registered members online and a hundred guests or whatever. But yeah, it says there's 15,000 registered members or, I look at my Google Analytics and over a half million unique hunters are out there over the course of a year. And so I'm like, who are some of these lurkers? So I will post something out there and I'll get an email that says, Randy, what is this all about? I read this out on your Hunt Talk forum. And I almost get this big smile like, mission accomplished. I knew they were lurking. (laughs) My point is... Don't underestimate who is out there on Hunt Talk reading this. A lot of policymakers, a lot of politicians, a lot of agency people are out there. If if you knew how many registered emails are on Hunt Talk that have a .gov, .us, .mt, .id, .co, these are policy people who want to know what the crowd is thinking. And we've got a ton of extremely smart people. They go by aliases. Uh, Some of them work for agencies. Some of them work for nonprofit groups. There's a lot of people who are really involved in the day-to-day decision process of how policy gets formed. And I'm not going to say who they are, 
but there's some extremely smart people out there, well-informed. So that that's a huge plug for hunttalk.com. I hope that you'll go out there. One last closing thing. Uh, I want to echo what Santa, Shannon said, thanking Randy for all he's done and how he's elevated the discussion in Montana and nationally. And if you want to know what a, a leader looks like, look at Randy's picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, that's uh, that's way too flattering there. I appreciate you saying that, but that almost makes me blush. But uh, so hunttalk.com, go there. And we have a big YouTube channel that is growing really fast. And I hope that you'll go out to our YouTube channel. It's Randy Newberg Hunter is the YouTube channel. And all of our old episodes are out there. We're getting into a lot of tips and tactics, equipment, other discussions. And we just launched a new series called Stealing Your Public Lands. And it's a 15 video series. There's 15 episodes to this whole new movement about how people, how these politicians either want to sell your public lands or the new thing, the they call it uh, transfer public lands. I think podcast number 10, we did that. And, and then I was on the Gritty Bowman. Uh, Brian had me on there. Uh, the Gritty Bowman. If you don't subscribe to the Gritty Bowman podcast, you should. It is, it's really good. Brian and those guys just do a, a great job. Uh, but he had me on there a while back, and we, we spent two hours talking about this steal your public lands thing. Uh, but our YouTube channel, we're rolling it out every Wednesday. We're putting up a new episode about the dangers. What, what really is at risk under this whole state transfer idea? So anyhow, folks, we've kept you a long time. Uh, we really appreciate you listening to this Vito, Shannon. Thank you guys so much. And, uh, all of you, I hope that you have a great Memorial weekend and, uh, remember what Memorial day is all about. Thanks for listening.